not be pursuing the kingdom of God, then he says it's better to go ahead and pluck it out, you know, chop off your hand, whatever it takes in order for us to progress and to move forward towards the kingdom of heaven. And it's extreme, and it's something that's uh, troubling to us because we live in a world where everybody believes that we kind of get to choose our own adventure, right? And Jesus is giving clear direction. He's saying this is where the kingdom of God is, this is how you get there. And it's troubling to us probably because over and over again on commercials and everywhere else, they say, you know, the world is your oyster. You know? And it's so different from what I heard growing up when I went to church and grew up going to Sunday school classes and vacation Bible schools. It was always made clear to me that I was just a small part of a greater thing that God was doing in the world. Right? Anybody else with me on that? I always heard, you know, I'm a small part of something greater that God is doing in the world. And today, over and over again, you hear the overwhelming story is you're a big part of your life journey. And you've got to make the most of it. And life is short, so gain all the pleasures, all the materials that you can, and, and make the most of life. And it's no wonder that so many people are frustrated, angry, depressed, and scared because over and over again, the realities of life set in, right? They get that job, they get a mortgage, and all those things that they're told they're supposed to have and they're supposed to gain suddenly become out of their reach. And so why, that's another reason that I rejoice in the good news of Jesus Christ. This overwhelming promise that he has made to each of us that our lives are part of a far greater story than one that you and I could write on our own, far greater than anything that our media could possibly come up with, that we're part of the greatest story ever told in terms of Christ and his cross and the resurrection. And why does that matter so much? Well, I, uh, I always laugh at the story I heard uh, when I was probably about 20 years old. It was by a guy who uh, was telling me about how his, his team every year, his kids' team, uh, would win every year. They would win the city championship in soccer. And uh, every year, uh, he would win it. They'd get the trophy. His kids would win. They were usually kindergartners. And I said, well, how do you do this every year? He said, well, it's, it's real simple. Um, probably about three or four times during the soccer game, you take these little kids and you say, which direction are we going? You know, and he would have all the kids point at the goal that they were supposed to be kicking the ball towards. And he said, and what are we going to do when we get there? And all the kids would recite it and they'd say, we're going to kick the ball in the net. And he said, that's how we win year after year after year. Two simple things. Where are we headed and what are we going to do when we get there? And this is exactly what Jesus does for us today in this message that he gives us. And he speaks to it, and um, let me read for you this, these parts that are so important. He says, John says, Teacher, uh, we saw someone throwing out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Jesus replied, Don't stop him. No one who does powerful acts in my name can quickly turn around and curse me. Whoever isn't against us is for us. I assure you that whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will certainly be rewarded. And he's saying, you know, if people are doing good things in the name of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they're your allies. They're there to help you. They're your friends. Work with them. Don't get mad at them because they're not part of your denomination or your church, but rather cheer them on. And uh, he goes on further. He says, and whoever causes these little ones who believe in me to trip and to fall into sin, it would be better for them to have a huge stone hung around their necks and to be thrown into the lake. If your hand causes you to fall into sin, chop it off. It's better for you to enter into life crippled than to go away with two hands into the fire of hell, which can't be put out. If your foot causes you to fall into sin, chop it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than to be thrown into hell with two feet. 
If your eye causes you to fall into sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter God's kingdom with one eye than to be thrown into hell with two. That's a place where worms don't die and the fire never goes out. I want to just stop there real quickly because we get a little antsy about the idea of hell. And uh, many times when people talk about Jesus in the Bible, they get concerned about when we bring up hell uh, because they say to themselves, well, isn't you know, Jesus loving and he's kind and he's friendly and he's good to children? Do you know who talks about hell more than anybody else in the Bible? Jesus. All others combined don't compare to the amount of time that Jesus spends on talking about it. And you can't put it aside and say, well, that's just a footnote. That's just a minor thing that Jesus mentioned on occasion. It's a central thing. And when he talks about it um, in this particular passage, he says, where the fire never goes out, you know, worm never dies. And the word that he uses there is Gehenna, which was um, a large place where people would go and dump their trash and burn it. It was outside of Jerusalem. And, um, you know, sometimes when people are talking on Facebook or other places, they'll say, well, it's just all turned into a big dumpster fire, right? And Jesus is already, you know, first biblical account of a dumpster fire here, right? He's saying uh, that is what it's like, you know, to be apart from God. He says it's just eternal suffering. It's just uh, miserable. It's horrible. And um, what else is happening there? Uh, not only do they burn trash, but if you were too poor to be able to afford your own burial service, uh, that is where they would put your body, and that's where you would go to decompose and to rot. And so Jesus is describing that. He's saying that is what it's like when we are apart from God, when we're separated from God. He says we decompose, we rot, we don't have the life that God wants for us, we don't live the way that God wants us to live, but instead we are rotting, decomposing, and are there suitable with the rest of the refuse. That's a pretty harsh thing, isn't it? But the reality, if you really think about your life, is that we're either rotting or we're ripening. Right? There's no in-between. Worst case scenario is that we become a well-preserved vegetable, right? We're either rotting or we're ripening. And one of the brilliant parts of Christianity and about our faith is that we have a way of understanding that process. We understand very clearly in our word and in our instruction, we say, this is how life works. There's no neutral ground. There's no middle territory. It's either one way or the other. Either we're growing in our love for God and our love for neighbors, or we're growing in our love for ourselves and our own selfish needs, and that's going to lead to our death, our decomposition, and our destruction. And so when Jesus lays all this out, it seems harsh, it seems drastic, but at the same time, it's brutally honest. And he's saying, you know, what is your life becoming? Is it becoming more and more about yourself and about your own needs? Or is it becoming something far greater? Are you connecting with the greater things that God is doing in our world? And he says, it's, it's far better for you to, to put aside anything that's keeping you from growing in your love for God and your love for neighbor than to hold on to that and not capture exactly what God has for you in your future. It's a hard truth, but it's one that we need to, to hear. Because you and I not only can understand and see that this is how reality works in our lives, but, but you and I also know that there are people each and every day that live in hell-like conditions that are far from God, 
and don't know God's ways or God's blessings. And that we, as a people, are invited and encouraged to be a part of what God is doing in our life and in our world. Just before that, this particular passage, Jesus says some profound words. He says to his disciples, he says, If you will not pick up your cross daily and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. If you will not pick up your cross and follow me daily, you cannot be my disciple. And the cross was, of course, the form of execution in Jesus' time, but, but when you really begin to think about his words, what is he saying? He's saying that we are involved in an eternal struggle between death and life, and our picking up our cross is one of the ways in which we thank God and thank Christ for what he has done, and that we move forward towards the kingdom of God, and we bring about greater things in our world. Picking up our cross and following him, what does that mean for your life? Maybe it just means something as simple as waking up every day and praying and asking God to watch over your family and your friends, or, or maybe it's something larger than that. Maybe it's picking up your cross means loving that difficult neighbor across the street from you, or picking up your cross could mean that caring for that coworker that's in need, that's hurting, that's struggling. It could be something like that, or it could be something greater like tackling poverty in Beaumont. You know, it could be a variety of things, but at the end of the day, the question is, did you pick it up? Did you lift it? Did you move it forward towards the kingdom of God? It requires sacrifice. It requires giving. And it takes more than we have. It, it takes the Holy Spirit. It takes Christ's work within us for this to happen. And yet God says, if you want to see less destruction and evil, and war, and famine, then pick up your cross, follow me, be my disciple, and I will show you the way to eternal life. I heard a story recently about uh, a time in the 1960s where um, a group of high school students were in an auditorium, and they had brought in the military recruiters to come and talk to the students. And uh, the representatives from all four branches of the military were there, and uh, they each got about five minutes to pitch their particular branch of the military. And the Army guy got up there and he said, you know, we're the Army, we're the first ones to be on the ground, we do the grunt work, we do the hard work, and yet we are the ones that oftentimes get a lot of the glory. You know, if you want to be a part of that, then come be a part of the Army. It's, uh, it's great. And then the, the naval recruiter got up and he said, you get to be on a boat, you get to experience the seas, you get to see the whole world, and, and then finally after that, you had the Air Force guy, and he said, not only do you get to fly in planes far away from the battleground, but when you're done, you can quit, you can get a job with the airlines and make a lot of money, and they each got their five minutes, and then finally the guy from the Marine Corps stood up, and the Marine Corps guy was like visibly scarred, he was grizzled, he looked like a rabid pit bull on a bad day, right? And uh, he was a veteran, and he got up there, and the first four minutes, all he did was just kind of glare at them, just kind of stared at them. And then in the final minute, he said to them, he said, you don't want to be in the Marine Corps. It's hard. It's miserable. In fact, if you join up, if you enlist in the Marine Corps, you're going to hate it. You're going to curse the day you were born. In fact, you're going to curse the day your mother was born. 
It's going to be that bad. And he said, I spent the last four minutes looking around this room, and not one of you looks qualified to be in the Marine Corps. And then the, the guy who was telling the story said, after the assembly, uh, there were lines of people that were joining into these particular uh, branches of the military. There's a few at the Army, a few at the Navy, a few at the Air Force, and then there's a long line for the Marines. He said, well, wh what's the difference? Why in the world would anybody sign up for that? He said, well, the thing is that the Marine Corps recruiter told the truth. He said, it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be so worth it. And when I think about Jesus' words today, I rejoice in the fact that he's speaking a truth about our world. That he's saying the powers and the principalities of darkness are real, that they're true. That the struggle for our salvation is not something that is easily won, but that has been granted to us through Jesus Christ. And that we're invited to work that out with great fear and trembling and to pick up our cross and to follow him and to see the great things that he alone can do. And today, if you have never made a decision to follow him, to be his disciple, to make a clear decision and say, this is my Lord and my Savior, then you're invited to do so today. You're welcome to come forward and receive this offering of Holy Communion into your life, his bread, his blood given for you and your salvation. In fact, in